You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, who provide innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, the creators of the powerful PV cell software. And Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and the EV-focused thedriven.io websites. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, how are you? Well, I'm just I'm concerned now because you know, for the benefit of listeners who should we should do an outtake. You just told me to shut up so that you could do the intro, and I had all this good news. (laughs) (laughs) But outside of being being told to shut up by my good friend, I'm really good. Thank you, Giles. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I'm sorry about that. Um, I, I, it's I not the first time today. Well, just be clear. No, well, it wouldn't be, would it? It wouldn't be. But, you know, I apologise for sort of taking a breath away and um, clearly just sort of, you know, sort of derailed. But look, just to get you back on the rails, yes. um, we just seem to be sort of going through a certain amount of idiocy Every, ever since someone sort of said zero emissions targets, which was, you know, the logical response to the um, bushfire season and as it should have dawned on anyone that, um, hey, um, this climate change stuff is actually quite serious. And mm. if this is one degree, then what does two degrees, what does three degrees, and what does four degrees look like? So the answer to that would be to reduce the emissions and actually do what the Paris Climate Target required us to do and go to zero emissions. But ever since then, we have had the um, outpouring of such withering stupidity from the um, federal government, which just seems to be their default policy position. We'll just say something really stupid. I mean, you had one senator talking about living in mud huts. You had Barnaby Joyce doing an extraordinary, extraordinary intervention in the in the, in the corridors of Parliament House. Yeah. Canavan last Andy. week. Well, Canavan last week, yes, that's right, yes. We had Angus Taylor this week just sort of saying, well, no, we're not the ones who are supposed to be doing zero targets. That's for other people to do. And you just go, oh, really, for goodness sake. But Mark Latham. Mark Latham. Don't we love him? Who who, who came within a handshake um, of um, of becoming Prime Minister of Australia um, has made an important discovery on solar energy. He has, yeah. I was was delighted to read that um, Mark is now as clever as my six-year-old and has realised that uh, when the sun doesn't shine, solar panels don't actually work, um, which is not a failure of the technology at all, as Mark seems to think. It's just a simple fact. It's actually physics, Mark. Um, uh, he took to the press. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's all about the rotating planet, mate, and if we can fix that, then I'm sure we can get solar to <laughs> well, shine. Anyway, well, go yeah. on. <laughs> That's when we come back to the flat earthers. Um who, you know, uh, didn't manage to prove that the earth was flat, but instead blew one of themselves up uh, this week as well. But So so where did where did Mark share this stupendously? In, it was in the Daily Mail, for goodness sake, and got republished on a couple of places. I saw it on Facebook, and there he was having a big... Having a big whinge and saying that when the sun isn't shining, solar isn't shining, solar panels don't work, and so therefore the whole thing's a crock, and you know it's never going to do anything, and um, failing to acknowledge. Um, well, the, the, the obvious, right, frankly, which we all know. My six-year-old knows that they work uh, in the sunlight and they don't work when there's no sunlight. In fact, I think every school child in Australia probably knows that. Probably the world, actually, but I'm glad Mark's caught up. It's awesome. Good job, Mark. 
Well done. Well, look, that is um, pretty exciting stuff. Um, yeah, look, um, it's um, look, I've been doing this. Um, look, Renew Economy has been running for about eight years and one step for about four years. And um, every year I just think, and I try and write a headline saying, you know, can the comments about renewables get any dumber than they are now? And the answer is always yes, they do. Um, so, um, I mean, yeah, it's just beyond stupider than stupid. But um, anyway, um, mm. look, I, I don't know. Hey, man, what's going on out there? I'm starting to hear, I just sort of bumped into a few people. Um, you know, there's a bit of warnings about the coronavirus and stuff like that. It sounds like um, no sort of shortfalls yet, but a bit of warning going on around the place and people are starting to sort of feeling feeling a bit tight. I think, uh, in fact, Giles, uh, um, not wanting to jump ahead, there's an event on this Friday in Sydney, which is the annual Solar Energy Industries Association New South Wales Annual Conference. Always a great get-together. Hope to see everyone there. I've got a opening speech. Um, I'm doing the opening for that, and amongst uh, amongst other things, I looked at um, where we thought the where I think the industry is going to go this year. What are the good things that are likely to happen? What are the bad things that are likely to happen? And I actually have my number one risk for the entire industry or for the year, if you like, now as coronavirus clearly going by. Uh, you know all the um, credible news stories um, yeah coronavirus is going to be very very hard to stop now and it looks like it's going to turn into a pandemic and um, the impact on the supply chain is going to be extremely significant um, I already know of a few installers who are struggling to get hold of gear um, I don't think it's widespread yet but there are certainly some parts that are getting harder to get um, certainly um, we you know uh, supply a number of different monitoring monitoring products one of the products we supply comes straight out of Shenzhen and uh, indeed their R&D facility is in Wuhan so um, we're already starting to plan for the fact that we may have uh, availability issues on that particular product and then we you know when you go right down into the guts of a device like we do or anyone else does a lot of the components come out of China so um, we're okay we've got lots and lots of stock but uh, for anyone who's building you know anything electronic they're relying on you know chipsets and all sorts of bits and pieces to come out of China. And that is going to hurt at some point in the next month or two because uh, a lot of people run on very short lead times. Um, it's going to hurt. It's it's going to have mm. a very significant impact. And it, it, it may only be a one-cent item um, that you can't get hold of or you can't get a truck to move it from the factory to the dock or you can't get a boat to depart the dock. It, it, it can be a tiny component that breaks the, the supply chain. So... Um, yeah, I think that's our our number one um, risk for people working mm. in the industry this year. Yeah, well, look, let's hope it does um, does abate. Um, you know, there's a bit of talk mm. that um, maybe the um, situation in China is slowly improving, but you can never really be too sure um, about the numbers there and the official figures. I mean, certainly mm. it's just extraordinary what's happening in, in Italy. You've got, the, you know, the Milan fashion show happening, happening behind closed doors. You've got the top-of-the-table Series A clash for any soccer fans, football fans out there between Juventus and Inter Milan. Um, happening behind closed doors and a whole bunch of other um, matches cancelled or played behind closed doors. It's really quite extraordinary. So um, it is, and and um, and this is the this go. is the fear, right? Because that all happened in the last seven days, more or less. Yeah, absolutely. We went from situation absolutely. normal to that. So yeah, it's quite a concern. 
Hey, get this, uh, Nigel. The um, iPhone doesn't actually recognise my face when I'm wearing glasses and I've got a microphone stuck in front of it. Um, I'm just trying to find out the next thing to talk about, but um, probably a moment to... <laughs> talk about yourselves, listeners. <laughs> talk about yourselves, listeners. I'm trying I'll to tell take you our sponsors. <laughs> yes. Wait, you can tell me what. And let's no, make no, the sponsors no. first. No, Clenergy, Solar Analytics and PV Cell from Sunwiz. Thank you all for your support and um, it's great. It um, keeps us um, in the lifestyle that we've become um, habited to. Um, <laughs> yes, sleeping on a some... bed of T-shirts. Yeah. We're going to have some use for them. Uh, yeah. What were our sales last year? I think it was one, wasn't it? Yeah. No, it was two. Um, anyway. Two. Mum took two. them. <laughs> oh, I'm growing my mum. <laughs> I mean, there's some other interesting news going around. There's um, um, IKEA is now so- selling solar panels and stuff, and um, I'm very pleased to hear that um, people don't get an Allen key and a step ladder and um, ask to install it themselves. They'll actually do it for you, but still... <laughs> You can buy it in the IKEA store. Yeah. Um, not too sure what to make of that, but um, maybe you can swallow this bit of information too and, and give your interpretation. Um, also, some early signs that the Tesla roof, or at least Tesla solar panels, will be available sometime soon because um, they're taking orders and I guess you'd call it expressions of interest. Um, I probably, they might just be trying to gauge the market and see how serious people are to bring the solar tile over here. But um, it'll be interesting if they actually get the solar panels over here as well. So two new competitors into the market what do you reckon yeah very true um tesla's an interesting one because you know there's been a lot of hoo-ha about this product and um you know not a lot of action um in the u.s market there's been only a handful installed as far as i understand and you know some challenges around the tech um and it sort of went really quiet for a while and to see it pop up here is really interesting so i'm with you actually giles i I'm tending to think this is just a, a you know a bit of a fishing exercise to see how many bites they get. Um, you know, Australia is the last place you'd want to try and sell a really high. I would think that a really high end integrated roof system for three key reasons one we're the lowest priced solar market in the world um two ferocious ferocious competition to get into that low price solar market and loads and loads of people who will who will um offer competitive products and thirdly um you know very tough environmental conditions wind loading and so forth so kind of tricky for a premium product doesn't mean that it won't sell in a niche um i i struggle to think that it would be a um uh, large volume uh product but you know that's not necessarily tesla's game so you know or more power to them let's see how they go yeah and what about ikea so ikea is a really interesting one because they've been doing this for some time overseas um few years in fact and have had some some success and some lessons and um so you know they know how this works IKEA's commitment to um, sustainability in general is, you know, absolutely world class. They are doing incredible things globally and sort of, you know, moving this through their channel to market, moving solar through their channel to market, frankly, is just another extension of, you know, their really genuine ambition to do good things uh, when it comes to sustainability. So on that count, fantastic, putting solar in front of 
the masses, maybe the Swedish masses, but the masses or, or people who like Swedish meatballs, um, putting solar in front of those people is only going to benefit the industry because more people will see it and hear it and it, and it adds a flavour of legitimacy to um, to solar when, when it starts appearing in big box moving companies like that. Not the first company to, to have a crack at it, so we'll see how they go. They've got a local partner, which is great to see. Who are going to be doing uh, managing the rollout? Um, so I think yeah, you know I, I think I think it's really interesting. Of course, you know another competitor in the market, a big competitor. That so, so do the solar so, so do the solar panels have names like you know their bookcases <laughs> and, their, and, their, and and things like you know Sven or Bjorn or whatever they are or Lund or something like that. I mean, oh, you I, get like you know, I hope so. What, what, what I do hope you, what, what do you call it? <laughs> Oh, it could be fascinating. It is. I don't know. <laughs> I think. I think actually, the ad that I saw online actually referred to them as Solastrom or something. So, um, so yeah, they've got names. They've got nice weird Nordic names for it. That's awesome. So let's see what happens. I, I mean, on on the downside, and I saw a couple of installers going, "Oh, you know, that's not what we need—a big heavyweight." brand and competitor you know cutting our lunch um and you know I, I i have a lot of empathy for that um sentiment um on the other hand the upside is they'll do marketing and spread the word so that will benefit everybody and there'll be some spillover where ikea perhaps don't get the sale but they've informed and educated people and thirdly usually when large corporate entities get involved there's a bit of overhead there so um, they typically aren't um, the cheapest in the market in fact they're often up towards the high end of the market so i i think um, there's potentially more upside than downside in this one but let's uh, let's see hmm. let's see now, mate, um, your battery, um, you've got your um, sniffer dogs out there. You're suggesting there might be a bit of an upsurge in the market. What's happening? Well, it was just intriguing. I'm on a local community Facebook group, and it was remarkable. We've had, I live in uh, the northern beaches of Sydney up at Narrabeen. We've had four blackouts now, I think, since uh, since the beginning of the year. Uh, longest one the other day, which was um, only only about 20 hours. Um, but uh, there was an absolute flurry of activity following that from local, um, uh, local people. The post basically started with, we've got solar, we're thinking about batteries, I'm sick of all these blackouts. Um, what's everyone else's experience with batteries? And the responses blew my mind, Giles, because I think I lost count at about 50 local people who threw their hands up and said, yeah, we've got a battery here or we've got two batteries there and we've got this and we've got that and sharing their experiences with, you know, the good things, the bad things, um, lessons learned, pointing to different suppliers who could help them. And, um, you know, what was really intriguing was a couple of things. Number one, um, people were adamant that they were doing this not for financial reasons, but they'd made their investment work on solar and now they're going to invest a bit more in a battery. And we've seen that kind of early adopter approach to buying, um, you know, a battery um, uh, flowing quite nicely. Um, but secondly, you know, three blackouts, maybe four, four since January 1, all very short in duration, um, but people are suddenly willing to spend ten or $20,000 to avoid a blackout, um, which is not which is a very emotional response, shall we say, given how generally reliable the network is. And I have to hand it to the, the, the team at Osgrid. They were out when the tree fell down, knocked the power lines down out, out the front of our place. 
they had 35 people out there in less than eight hours and they worked real hard uh, on, in difficult circumstances to get that power line back up. So, you know, in our situation, at least, they were working really hard and responding incredibly fast. So good on you, Osgrid. Hmm. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because batteries are usually just sort of measured in terms of oh, how much money can I make, you know, sort of storing, storing it in the battery and then sort of saving on grid imports later on or maybe even sort of exporting it or whatever. And, and those numbers don't really add up. But now we're starting to see those other sort of value chains of the battery becoming really important. The fact that, you know, you don't go mm. online for three or four days. You do understand that the grid's becoming um, um, less reliable because of these, you know, extreme weather events and there's not much you can do about falling trees unless you actually bury the line underground. And um, and then we're actually sort of seeing a few more sort of virtual power plant type things too, which are actually helping um, sort of, um, they're helping prevent some of the outages. Wider, that might yeah, and the wider community. Yeah, and, um, and, um, but people are also getting revenue from those things. So that source yeah. of pattern and sudden people, um, you know, I mean, look, it's one of those things. You don't, you, you don't necessarily want to sit down there and sort of crunch every damn dollar of it because it might not make sense, but then... Neither does your new couch either, but it's kind of something that um, people want to have because um, they want to sort of sit comfortably and or, or just have the lights on at other well, times. Life, so, uh, life, uh, life is pretty reliant on power, right? Um, you know, it's it's increasingly difficult for people to uh, to adapt. In fact, when we got we got hit by lightning uh, during one of these events, and um, it took out our modem, and uh, which took out the Netflix and everything else, of course, and. Uh, my 16-year-old son um, tried a number of things to try and get the TV working in a, in a panic, absolute, he had a sheer look of panic and terror on his face and and was asking me what to do, what to do. And I said, well, look, mate, there's probably nothing we can do and, you know, you just need to, just need to think about this. And he said to me, Dad, this has never happened before. I don't know what to do. Oh look! Oh look! You can just sort of look at the resilience growing up in front of him. But um, look, it's kind of ironic, you know, if you think about the stupidity of the coalition arguments about well, net zero actually going to cause us to live in mud huts without power and stuff like that. And you think, well, hang on, if you're sitting there and relying on nothing but the coal-fired grid right now, you're living in the mud hut, sort of being with with no power. It's the guy with zero emissions, with solar and battery, um, who've actually got the power. That's right. And Hank can use all those um, modern devices to which we've become used to. So, um, yes, yes. hey, mate, look, before we just go to a commercial break, one more thing about you've got some news about a, the DER register. Tell us all. Yeah, so the Australian energy market um, has um, been working on a project for some time to create a distributed energy uh, registry, which is basically a registry that allows um, the market operator to know where batteries are installed, where solar is installed, etc, 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 so that they have better visibility of what's happening behind the meter, essentially, and, and especially when with respect to batteries, from a security, safety and reliability point of view for them to have some visibility to the size of that fleet. Um, so the DER registry has been in construction for a while. It was delayed a little bit, but they announced that by 1st of March, it will be operational now. Um, it, it's going to be a requirement for virtually every solar installer in Australia to complete the form. Um, there's been a, I've been at a couple of sessions where they've talked about, you know, is it too big or too small or is it easy or hard? And it's a bit clunky, it would appear. And there's a fair bit of information required. That'll get better over time, but it is another piece of paperwork that um, that uh, small business operators are going to have to complete and that you're going to have to do this. It's going to become mandatory. So be aware, do a bit of research on the DER registry. Mm, cool. Good information. Now, let's just pause for a message from one of our sponsors. 
The energy world is rapidly changing. Solar analytics will give you the data to navigate this new energy landscape. Solar analytics helps solar businesses save time and deliver better service to their customers by assuring their savings. Their hardware is incredibly flexible and fast to install on residential and commercial applications. And their software provides a rich user interface and satellite data with smart algorithms for simple automated performance monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, connect with your solar and make the most of your home energy. And we'd very much like to thank our sponsors for continuing the support of this podcast. Nigel, you've been out on the road talking to um, lots and lots of different people in the solar industry, and this is another one of our good solar people. Tell us about our guest today. It is every week, uh, every two weeks, we try and learn some of the lessons from other businesses about how they survived the solar coaster. And another one this time from CN's late last year. We've only got a couple more New Zealand ones to go, and then we're going to get back to some Aussies. But Paul McCombe is a really interesting guy. I've met him uh, over the years in a, in a number of different things that he's been doing. He's got a cool little business called Sunagize, specialising in PPAs in the South Pacific, amongst other things. Let's hear what Paul had to say. Welcome back to Meet a Solar Business. My name's Nigel. I'm here with Paul Makumbe from uh, Sunagize. Sunagize uh, provides solar as a service, mostly for commercial businesses. That's the way Paul described it to me. Um, Paul, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Nigel. Thank you very much for having me. Um, looking forward to spending the next five, ten minutes talking to you about our business. Good on you, mate. Um, so... Uh, Let's get started by going right back to the beginning. You're, you're sitting here at uh, CNZNZ talking solar with uh, 100 or so solar colleagues. What's your backstory? How did you end up sitting here today? What What's the story that led you to be here? Um, funny enough, I, I think probably about um, nine, ten years ago, um, I was asked to put solar on a house in Queensland and... Um, at that point in time, there was such a huge rebate, and I was asked to invest what was probably about twelve, thirteen thousand dollars. And I said, "Well, okay, that's a lot of money going up front, up front." And um, I started looking at it and said, "Well, if I was putting that kind of money, and the returns that you're getting were really that good," I started thinking about, "Well, where else could this model work?" And I had been working in the Pacific and looked at all the power prices across the Pacific, and I thought, well, you know, putting a solar system in Fiji would yield probably about the same, if not better, return than what the government rebate was in Australia. And I started looking and said, you know, if I was doing this in Australia, I would have to do a 1,000 homes, whereas I could do just one business in the Pacific for the same scale, and I wouldn't have to build as big a team. <laughs> and that's how you got here. That's how I got here. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, there's always a good backstory. Um, so, what's what's the secret to your company's success? What's your USP? What makes you different to other solar companies? Um, it's the people, really. Um, I cannot stress how important it is to, you know, to work with people who share the same vision and who are as passionate about, you know. The things that you're trying to achieve, I think I cannot stress how important the people are. You know, it doesn't. They've been there through the highs and the lows, and they keep coming back with great ideas and great solutions. And you know, no matter what we've faced, they they've been there for us. So 
it's yep. the people. I love it. It's. Uh, I think. Uh, I think we're probably up to uh, business interview number number ten or twelve now, and I reckon seventy uh, percent of the people I interview say uh, it's all about the people. That's yep. that's consistent story. Fantastic. Um, so, um, where you're here at a conference, you've been enjoying the. Uh, the speeches, uh, the hospitality, uh, some late nights, but on Monday it's all over. You've got to get back to business. What's the, what's the next big thing on your radar? What, what's going to get you excited when you arrive back in the office on Monday? Um, <clears throat> I, I think if you take a look at where the industry is at the moment, I mean, coming to a conference like this kind of like um, confirms what we are seeing and with um for us, the next big thing is effectively trying to do more utility-scale solar. So we're building two utility farms in Tonga and in Fiji. Hmm. Um, and you know what we're trying to do is to see if we can scale that across the rest of the Pacific, so we can you know uh, make the transition from fossil fuel possible. So that that is our big. That's our big. To, uh, that's on our big to-do list you know, from Monday, effectively. <laughs> That'll take two to ten right. by the end of the year. Right. Go bigger. Go bigger. Yeah. I love it. Uh, what's the best business, uh, what's the best invis- investment decision uh, you've made for your business? So what worked really well? What was a, what was a good investment that you made? <laughs> I'm going to go back to the second question. Uh, the, the best investment we've made is in the people. Finding and making sure that you know they are well incentivized and well remunerated, and um, they have the tools that allow them to be uh, innovative and and to carry out their passion. And that's yeah, great investment. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, let's go the other way. What's the biggest mistake you've made? Everyone's made mistakes in business. Everyone's uh, rides the ups and downs of business. What was the one that caught you? Um, believing that um, we were invincible. <laughs> taking on challenges that you know we weren't ready for but you know uh, again I you know we, we took on a project that you know we built about two years ago we we built uh, a two megawatt hour you know uh, lithium-ion battery wow that's been operating now for two years yep. if you go back then uh, across Australia and New Zealand, no one had done anything of that scale. And we did that on an island in Vanuatu. Wow. Imagine the logistics. Wow. We were not ready for it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, financially, technically. Um, so, and it took us to the wall. Mm-hmm. But then again, uh, you know, that was our biggest mistake. And from that, you know, it kind of like brought out the best in everyone. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. The ability to stay adversity in the face and be like, you know, I'm going to keep coming back tomorrow. I've made my mistake. I've learned from it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, you, um, uh, no pain, no gain, right? No pain, no gain. Um, What lesson took you the longest to learn? Mm. I'm I'm still learning it. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think it's, uh, it doesn't matter how much you wish or want something to happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, y- you've got to make sure you do sufficient prep work and bring the whole team on a journey. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll be out there on your own, mm-hmm. whether it's customers, uh, you know, your colleagues. Um, you'll be out there on your own trying to pull everyone, and it's really, really difficult to do unless you bring everyone 
along with you on the journey. Yeah. And I've heard to learn that the hard way where you're kind of like, oh, this is the strategy. We're going this way and I'm pulling one way and the customers are kind of like, oh, maybe we're following you. And suppliers, maybe we'll follow you, but not quite there. Right. But, you know, that making sure that you communicate well and you get people, bring them along with you on the journey. Yeah. That's, that's, and I'm still learning that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good one. That's a tough lesson for any business, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, what, um, what did you think was true that turned out not to be true? Hmm. When they say that we're going to get to financial close in six weeks, <laughs> try six months. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it, it always takes, it, you know, it, it always takes longer. And um, I think it's, it's happened on almost every project, on every deal I've done. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you get told the time frame. You got to plan and build flexibility into that time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. A uh, couple, uh, couple more to go, mate. Then, uh, then I'll let you off the hook, and we can go back in. Um, thinking globally, locally, wherever you want to around the world, which company or person do you aspire to be like most? You know, which what what business or business model or person um, you know sets you on fire and 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 uh, makes you think I want to emulate that. I want to have that like uh, that sort of success. I, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm going to point to somebody who's been a mentor from the day I, I started. I think I tracked him down at a at a conference in uh, in Australia where he was speaking, and I sat down with him for a coffee that ended up being four hours and me convincing him to be on our board. I had no idea what Solo was about. I, I point out to Danny Kennedy what he has done for for us and for the industry mm-hmm. is magnificent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I look up to him. The way that he has, you know, um, taken an idea, built a company, worked with communities, and is now spreading that a- across the globe. Mm. Yeah, he's my inspiration. Nice, nice. Danny's a great guy and has done some amazing things. If you could change one thing about the solar industry, what would that be? Um, our self-limiting belief. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. I, I think, you know, we come to a conference, I guess, and we um, we talk about all the great things that are happening. Um, I think we could go bigger. I think our time is now, and I think we should stop looking at ourselves as being a small industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we should think of ourselves in the same way the utilities do. Mm-hmm. We should think bigger. Make ourselves material. I, I, I suspect if you went and asked uh, a lot of the utility guys now, they would probably say we're pretty close to already being there, mate. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you. I think we're there. Yeah. Last one. Um, where are you going to be in five years? Look forward. What's your plan? Um, what do you envisage? What's your dream for what your business will, will be looking like and doing in five years? Um, <clears throat> you know, um, we set out when we first started to build the first pan-Pacific utility. Um, I think we, we're now at the scaling stage. We would like to be, um, in five years' time, to be the largest you know, private operator of solar assets across New Zealand and the Pacific. That is the goal. Um, me personally, um, you know, looking at the next challenge around renewables, and um, it might not necessarily be with Synergize, but, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm very... Um, 
passionate about renewables and it will definitely be in the renewable space if it's not with Synergize. Yeah, yeah, got it. Hey, Paul, it's been awesome learning a bit about your business. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks, Nigel. Appreciate your time. That was Paul McCombe from Synergize in uh, New Zealand. Um, Giles, I always love hearing from other parts of the world, especially some of the guys doing really creative stuff like, like Paul was talking about. PPAs are a tricky one, but I do love the idea of building an annuity stream for a business, which is what Paul's chasing. Yes, look, uh, it's sort of um, um, uh, annuities have always confused the hell out of me. Um, I think they're coming with my um, super sometime, but um, <laughs> I've never been able to get my mind out around it. So, um, but look, no, look, I, 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 I kind of get it. And look, it's just like, it's, look, it's just an example of, um, you know, we've often talked about solar and how many households it's kind of reached across Australia. Now comes the challenging part and it's reached, you know, the, the goal, whether it's in Australia or in New Zealand or in Pacific Islands or anywhere else, is to try and get it on the households. You can't readily just go out and buy a solar system and stick it on the roof. So you've got to start right. thinking about different different ways of making it work and that's sort of you know getting the divide between people who are rent renters or people who live in apartments or people yeah. who don't or businesses. Have businesses yeah, and exactly. there's, a, there's a big focus for PPAs on businesses in a variety of different ways and I mean what's what's fantastic is guys like Paul and and we've got some terrific companies in Australia doing PPA stuff as well and they're really creative people and they're thinking of creative financial solutions that work for businesses in particular. It has, there's a real sweet spot in business. Um, and I've heard some great examples lately um, of, of how people are, you know, trying to find solutions that just work for businesses and, and solar happens to be the product or low-cost energy happens to be the product that's coming out the other side. And it's about how you engineer all that in a financial and technical sense. So, yeah, great to hear. I also love that um, yet again, and this is a theme that keeps coming up again and again and again and again and again and again, is that the key to successful solar businesses is great people. Um, we, we've heard that from so many businesses. So, you know, look yeah. after your people, people. Absolutely. People. Um, look from great people or good people or great people um, to not so good people. Um, maybe we should call it not so good solar rather than crap solar. But anyway... Um... <laughs> Well, we have to um, we have to give credit where it's due, credit and, I, yes. and I do tend to just scan the crap solar pages. But so credit to oh, where okay. it's, it's due. It's a trademark yeah. thing, isn't it? You know, it's you a got... trademark thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What have you got? Um, um, let's go briefly through a couple of things that we just need to think about. Yeah, sure. So um, one that was really interesting was, um, you know, SolarAray was uh, was not working properly, was installed not working, customer asked for some help, got someone else to come in and inspect it. Turned out that one of the solar panels just wasn't even installed or connected. In fact, it was laying on top of some of the other solar panels. So, you know, how, how the original installer managed to go, oh, yeah, no, I, I haven't installed that panel yet. Wait, I'm done. I'm going home and just left it on the roof. I don't know, but that's apparently what happened in this case. And it seems incredible, but talking to especially commercial clients who've got multiple installations, councils and, and, and commercial clients, it's not something... It's not uncommon to hear of arrays that are not actually connected up or cannot connected properly. It's it's really incumbent upon users to really be diligent and make sure that things are finished. Sadly, uh, but yes. make sure it's finished. And uh, if you had a monitoring device, you would probably be aware of this. You would be aware of it instantaneously, of course, using live data. <laughs> um, 
the other Switch one that, in bathroom? oh my god this one blew me away um yeah in this case what it was was you know there was a switchboard actually like a subboard located in a bathroom next to the shower cubicle which was mind-blowing firstly um and as the as the person who posted it said you know when the solar was installed the solar installer then went in and you know made some modifications to that board to allow the solar to be connected um now he should have actually said to the customer i can't do this this board is not compliant it needs to be moved out of the bathroom next to the shower you this is actually non-compliant this actually ends up happening a lot it happened to a friend of mine up on the north coast recently where they had solar installed and what it ended up meaning was look your board's really not quite compliant and it can't it's got no spare space in it so you're gonna need to upgrade your board and that is a reality for quite a lot of solar owners um the downside is it adds more cost it, it can be another thousand or so bucks to get your board upgraded um but um it brings your house up to the latest standards and the latest uh, safety codes so it's really worth spending the extra money don't skimp on a switchboard upgrade absolutely the only thing you should be having in your bathroom is possibly an electric razor and possibly an electric hair dryer although i know nothing about this um <laughs> huge fraud case in india it says here nigel what's going on Oh, look, this is, I'm just going to get people to Google this one. I won't go into too much detail, but it involves a diamond trader. It involves swanky hotels. It involves uh, allegations of interference at the most senior level of government and a whole lot of fraud um, around a five megawatt solar plant. It was, I was actually reading this story going, oh my God, this could make a movie. Um, it was so remarkable, but you know, some guy who was a diamond trader got into the solar space and was buying and selling plants and, you know, it all turned out to be a horrible fraud, um, case, uh, that's worth a, a giggle and a read, um, um, some time to, to see, you know, to, to, to understand how things can go wrong in other parts of the world. More importantly, um, there's some delistings and some suspensions this week, Giles, uh, that I've picked up on. Well, that is breaking news, isn't it? It is. In fact, the uh, rec registry suspensions I just picked up, literally, that has just come over the wire. It's not even on the uh, rec registry uh, uh, website yet, but it apparently has been sent out as an email communication to um, to a number of recipients. Um, bottom line is um, three companies have been suspended from the rec registry, so that means they can no longer trade STCs or LGCs, presumably. Um, they've been suspended, um, and I quote, for misuse of C see installer details and or use of non-approved solar panels so what that means typically is you know fraudulently get applying an installer signature or CEC accreditation number to get it to get a, a, a um, an SDC approval through or using solar panels that are no longer on the approved list three companies uh, um, suspended uh, from the rec registry uh, as a result of this community energy groups space solar service proprietary limited and pnn new south wales proprietary limited who we know from previous non-compliances when they were previously known as euro solar and a number of other companies so um the interesting thing here i think is yet again it shows that um um the clean energy regulator who runs the rec registry is taking compliance and fraud very, very seriously and will not only suspend, but in some cases prosecute as well. Um, this is an ongoing issue for the entire industry. It is actually very hard to proceed with something this 
profound because you know effectively these guys are going to have to change their business or they it may put them out of business who knows but that can't be taken lightly and so there's a lot of legal leg work, leg work that has to be done before such a suspension can be initiated uh, i see the cec is regularly talking about the numbers of installers that they're suspending as well and all of that is there's a huge amount of work that goes in the background to do that legally so you don't end up with some barristers on your steps um so um, those suspensions are notable and I will uh, wait and see um, what what comes out of that. Also important to note on a sort of related topic that a number of panels, uh, solar panels are going to be delisted um, or have either been delisted or are about to be delisted. I'll quickly run through the list. Econess Energy, um, uh, CECP Solar Energy Technology, uh, Tangshan, Haitei, New Energy Technology, uh, some of uh, the Jiangsu Sunport Power Panels, and Hui uh, Daheng Energy Technology Co., uh, uh, Solari Energy, and Flextronics uh, Limited. So some of these panels are just older models that are just sort of falling off the list. Um, some of them are being listed uh, for a variety of other reasons. But the bottom line is none of those brand names, um, you, you should not take those brand names as a given that they are approved. You should always check if your solar panels are approved. And of course, the solar panel serial number validation program, also run by the Clean Energy Regulator, allows installers to confirm before they take delivery of a shipment or when they're looking at a shipment, whether those particular products are in fact listed and valid. So um, uh, if you um, use the solar panel validation, uh, solar panel serial number validation scheme, you can actually speed up your STC application so you can improve your cash flow. If you don't go through that validation process, you have to wait much longer because the clean energy regulator has to, has to do that validation themselves. Hmm. Hmm. Well, there you go. Look, important information there, Nigel, and well done for picking that up and uh, for bringing it to us contemporaneously. So, um, fantastic, fantastic, mate. Um, we might just leave the solar, um, the solar thing there, and actually just move on to a bit of EV news. Um, before we do that, I'd just like to cross promote, promote, cross promote one of our other podcasts, the Driven Podcast. Mm -hmm. You can find on the Driven website. Mm -hmm. um, this one's about solar cars. So, University of New South Wales um, had a um, had a bit of a talk fest um, a week or so ago, and um, Bridie Schmidt, the uh, main reporter for The Driven, went along and um, hosted a session. It was really interesting stuff. Had Martin Green there, some pe other people from University of New South Wales there, Grid Futures team, had some people um, from the Netherlands who um, seemed to be one of the people pioneering these solar cars. And um, look, it's actually worth a listen. You know, the idea that you can have solar paint painted onto your car and that would generate, you know, even a mentionable amount of solar just seems a bit bizarre but um there you go that's what's um that's what's happening so oh, nice. um it's worth a listening worth a listen worth a listen um and um i should also mention um we've had a couple of really interesting stories over the last um 
over the last week on the Driven website just about um, the new Model 3s and um, they've got cameras all over the car and they've got this thing called sentry mode. So basically, if anyone comes really close to your car, the cameras start recording and it's sort of, you know, it's all downloaded quite instantly. And there was one case in Aubrey of a guy just coming along with a skateboard and just smashing a window. It wasn't of a Model 3, it was a Model S. And then another one of a woman just coming along, just wearing some pyjamas and just sort of glassed the whole side of the car or keyed, sorry, the whole, whole side of the car. Yes. So, um, Definitely, that's that's they, they both made cool. mainstream media, actually. I was picking them up on the mainstream media feed. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, so it's sort of fascinating. It's all that sort of stuff mm. that um, gets people going. And um, look, there was another lovely story, and it was we actually it was actually written a while ago, but it was picked up by uh, or written by a guy, um, Gary Thorpe, um, who told a story of his own Tesla Model 3 and how it got caught up in the bushfires and all these other petrol cars couldn't oh, get yep, petrol yep, or yep. diesel, but um, he managed to power his car. It was, a, it was a wonderful story and how they yet managed to sit inside their car, um, you know, as the smoke came through and, and they were clear of smoke because they could have the air conditioning on and they could, um, oh, look, it was a great little story. But he also wrote this wonderful little think piece about, well, let's imagine now everyone sort of complains about, oh, we've got petrol cars. How the hell can we transition to electric vehicles? Well, he put it the other way around and say, well, let's imagine we've got electric vehicles and someone says, let's go transition to petrol cars. And it was just brilliant because it just sort of points out all the fallibility and the weaknesses of petrol cars the fact that you've got to go down to a service station and splash around in sort of flammable fossil fuels to 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 fill the car up you know the fact that you've got lousy acceleration the fact that it makes noise the fact that it emits you know emissions the fact that it emits particulates and kills about three thousand people a year you know the fact that you become beholden to imports from foreign countries, the fact that you can't generate your own thing, the fact that you can't charge at home. We've become normalised and immune to the negatives and we just completely willingly accept them and just go, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Sure, I'll deal with a volatile, highly, highly flammable and volatile fluid, you know, once or twice a week. Of course I will. Of course I will. We don't think twice about it. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of sounds holier than that because I do drive an electric vehicle now. But sometimes when I sit there and I look at all these other people, and we've got everyone's got their little internal combustion engine, and they've got these bloody exhaust pipes that come out. And sometimes I've got to sit behind the damn things and they're chucking out black smoke. And I'm just going, "You're bloody mad! We're absolute bloody mad! We've got billions of these sitting here. They're all just putting out emissions. God knows how many people um, are being killed just by the sort of the health effects, lung diseases, and stuff like that. Let alone all the emissions going up into the air. I mean, it's just just completely nuts. We've got to transition as quickly as we I'm can. I'm right there with so, you. Anyway, but but yeah, absolutely. But look, um, you've got a story to say to tell us about zero the well, electric um, motorcycle. Well, and it's so charging. much on electric motorcycles. I'm gonna I'm, I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll get to that. But I want to I want to cover off three really really interesting things I've picked up recently. Number one, I mentioned uh, last episode that zero were planning a an announcement and a new launch. Um, it was actually leaked, believe it or not. So um, I actually saw along with. Uh, a few other people, um, an early snippet of the video and the announcement, which somehow slipped out to the press and was on the social media feeds before they really wanted it to. In a nutshell, what Zero have done, and I've written an article for you, Joel, so I'm going to shoot that through um, tomorrow that you might like to put up. Um, praise be. Um, essentially, what they've done, their, their new SRF model was launched last year. Everyone loves it. It's an awesome bike by all accounts. Um, they've added a full uh, fairing to it now and they've really what they've done is they've focused on comfort and style um, now 
they might seem like small things, but of course they make a big difference if you're an owner and you're riding the bike or indeed if you're just a punter walking down the road going, does that bike look weird? Or does that bike look actually really cool? Uh, is that an amazing, amazing, beautiful looking bike or car for that matter? And Zero have done a really, really nice job of it. Um, good reviews, more comfort, not any other major changes. The, the, the package underneath is essentially the same. Long overdue. A full fairing is one of the things that uh, riders have been asking for for years and years and years because what we all know is that aerodynamics make a big difference at speed. Um, so extending that kind of highway range is all about aerodynamics and uh, sort of touch on that in my, in my story. Um, the other thing that's noticeable about the Zero SRS uh, and the new model with the fairing is the the, the build quality is being um, really talked about as being very, very high class, which is great because sadly, uh, I heard a very, very interesting podcast on the way in this morning, actually. Uh, full big shout out to the guys at Motorcycles and Misfits who are based in Santa Cruz where Zero are bunch of motorcycle owners and particularly electric motorcycle owners and they told a story about the lightning now giles you might remember me mentioning the lightning they set land speed records they won pikes peak uh they had this amazing bike called the ls218 which was just mind-blowingly powerful got amazing reviews from for the one or two bikes so they have finally launched their street version there it's called the lightning strike it was targeted, it was announced at a price of US $12,000, which blew everyone's minds. Um, they have now started shipping bikes. They're shipping the premium carbon edition first. They're about a $20,000 US bike. So about the same price as a zero, but incredible um, statistics. And oh my goodness, Lightning, you have clearly botched this. The stories of these guys looking at um, a bike that a new rider actually took delivery of, um, the most profound thing was that they said the bike was, and I'm going to be frank, they said it was a death trap. Uh, um, uncovered battery terminals, high-voltage battery terminals, uh, cables uh, running in stupid places, brake lines that were clearly at risk of being uh, abraded and cut by parts of the fairing because grommets hadn't been installed. The list just went on and on and on and on. How do um, you do that? The Look, what they're saying is that they really think that this is a handmade prototype. It is not a production bike or it is a very, very early production bike. But um, this saga of lightning, sadly, has been dragging on and on and on and on. And to deliver a $20,000 US bike, it's like thirty grand US uh, Aussie, the bike wasn't even put, the, the tank, the, the faux tank wasn't held on by anything. So if you went around a corner and put your knee into the tank, the tank would drop off. Um, there were just ridiculous things. And how Lightning could um, in any, um, how, how they could believe that that was ready for delivery is, is bewildering. It was dangerous. It was unfinished. Um, on top of that, the guy paid for a bike with a 20 kilowatt hour battery pack and they said, well, look, we're just going to deliver this one with a 10 kilowatt hour pack because the 20s aren't quite ready yet and just bring it back in sometime in the next year and we'll upgrade it. Well, hang on, I've just paid 30 grand. I don't want that. So, yeah, uh, Lightning, I've got a lot of explaining to do and that's quite interesting to hear. So we're going to follow that story. 
Well, oh, that's that's um, that's amazing. It's um, it seems to me that the um, the, the bike manufacturers, the electric bike manufacturers, are having a few issues here because, of course, we saw the um, Harley Davidson's first move, and you're going to remind us um, now of um, Zero's um, in problems. So, yeah, yeah, hmm, it's not an what, easy I space. What that is. It's not an easy no. space, and it's pretty low volume, so it's hard. But having said that, talking of Harley. Um, I think the opposite is turning out to be true for Harley and what I am seeing and hearing and reading about the Harley Livewire as more and more owners now turn up um, is great news. And one of the key differences that they're all talking about is they're saying this bike is really, really nicely built. It's refined. It's it's um, It does everything that it was promised to do. In fact, there are features in there that I didn't realize that it, it, it was going to have. So it's it handles well. It's got great power. I saw a great video today of, of, of two buddies, one on a Yamaha 1000cc R1 and one on his Harley Livewire and a Harley Livewire beating him off the line for the first you know quarter of a mile or whatever. So it's got enough power. Uh, it's respectable. Um, it's got fast DC charging. It's got decent AC charging. It has a cellular monitor built in so that you can connect to the bike from anywhere. Where, um, loads of programmability and flexibility so that you can dial the thing in however you want it so the, and and i watched a great video today of some guys test riding them through uh, barcelona in spain and they were just raving about it they said it is genuinely a really good bike it's got plenty of power uh and the build quality and refinement which comes with a, a, you know a big name brand like harley well done, Harley. You have delivered a, a, a what, what it, by all accounts, appears to be a very, very nicely built, re, well-refined product. So all power to them. I actually think thinking now, Giles, I wouldn't mind one. I wouldn't mind one. I can't. They're starting Ooh, to appeal to me. Starting Rachel. to appeal. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But you won't hear me roaring up the the hill next to your place. I will be, you know, whirring up the hill. Well. Well, that's good to hear, Nigel. And when you and all your mates and your electric Harleys um, get together, you are most welcome to come quietly up our street <laughs> and, plug and even pop in for a plug in for a little charge. Know, yeah, yeah, plug in for a yeah. I've only got one charger here, but I'm sure it'll do. But um, we've got lots of power points if that helps. So, um, <laughs> power points yes. are fine. Power points are fine. Now, just to finish off, I'm going to can can I touch on charging just for a minute because I did read. Uh, a fascinating story about some of the challenges. And this is what we're talking about here is the challenges of building an electric motorcycle. Um, in 2013, Zero announced they were going to add CHADMO, which is the which was the protocol for DC charging. And there was a really, really interesting article about why they launched that and then subsequently pulled out. And, and what they found... Um, was that when they actually went and tested the bikes on Chadmo fast chargers around the place, what they found was, you know, although the spec said that Chadmo is supposed to go down uh, to uh, 90 volts, a lot of them actually didn't. And the manufacturers are just going, well, yeah, we know the spec said 90 volts, but we're just not going to do that. So they found compatibility um, uh, straight away. What they also discovered was that one of the little specs uh, that was built into the standards around Chadmo and Chadmo chargers required this um, isolation circuit check or ch- a circuit isolation check. So basically it was sending a signal up the wires and it was looking to check that there were no uh, isolation leaks. But it was doing it at such an insanely harsh value that almost nothing could pass it. 
right? And so what that was doing was causing problems. And um, it meant that the fault, faults would come up um, uh, unnecessarily. And that was causing the problems as well. They also discovered that there were basic things like the fake fact that the chat, a lot of the Chadmo charges created a lot of sort of harmonic and electronic noise and would confuse the CAN bus circuit on, on board the bike. And the bike has a you know, signal running through the wires via CAN bus, like a lot of uh, electric vehicles. And there was very, very poor um, filtering of that. Um, there was timing that was out of sync. Um, you know, in, in one case, they talked about how the whole CAN network of the bike went down. The whole bike collapsed because of this bad charging thing. And, and you know, his mouse on his laptop wouldn't even work properly because it was, it was, um, it was so profound. So, um, and what they found in a nutshell was that some of the charger manufacturers were completely unresponsive. They just didn't care. Um, they focused their attention on others. But, you know, ultimately, that was one of the myriad of challenges that electric motorcycle manufacturers, particularly affected because they're small volume, you know, trying to bring what seems like such an obvious feature of DC fast charging to the market is not simple. And you run into these kind of problems when you're early in technology. Um, so it's getting mm. better and better and better. Um, but, um, you know, after... Um, you know, Zero's perspective was that although they understood they understood that users wanted this capability, uh, f- from a public relations standpoint, it was a nightmare in the making uh, for Zero because they they just could not guarantee reliability, and so sadly, um, they had to uh, to pull that feature out of the bikes, and and to this day, you still can't fast charge. Uh, a zero um, on most fast charging stations. So anyway, I thought it was a really interesting way to wrap up a little um, a little story about you know some of the trials and tribulations of electric motorcycle manufacturing. Well, may we'll see how they all um, roll up soon. So um, yeah, lightning like get their act together. Um, if Harley um, do with it, with this next version, um, get their act together too. And um, yeah, with zero, so interesting mm. stuff, mate. Um, I think that's a bit of a wrap for today. I think um, we've um, people have been washing the dishes or driving the kids to school or doing the gardening for, for long enough. We should, um, we should set them free. Should let them um, all go. Set them free. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Look, um, look. thanks, Nigel. Look, that was a great little podcast, and thanks for all your work on this, um, particularly your sort of um, news-breaking um, things about delistings and suspensions and um, registries and stuff like that. It's all great stuff. Look, thanks to our sponsors um, once again. Um, really appreciate your support. And look, thanks to all our listeners um, for tuning in, and um, thanks, don't forget listeners. our weekly. Yeah. Mm, sorry, what was that? Thanks, listeners. We couldn't Thanks, do it without the listeners. Yeah. Well, we couldn't. Do, well, we could, but it'd be we pretty could. pointless. But we um, just, just go to the pub and get get we'll just go to the pub and just do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Speaking of which, with there's the um, there's the um, Sundowners event. Um, there's one in March coming up soon. So look out for that in Sydney. And also check out our other podcasts. I mentioned the Driven podcast earlier on, but also the weekly Energy Insiders podcast too, for some light entertainment about networks and um, regulations and all sorts of other stuff. Look. Um, thanks once again, Nigel. Thanks for all the listeners and bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, the creators of PV Cell Software powerful technology for solar sales and design. 
With free high-definition rooftop imagery in every PV cell plan, retailers can stay ahead of the competition. SunWiz, Australia's leading solar software. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.